Welcome to episode number 73 of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Super excited to welcome Jeffrey Henning to the podcast today. Now, Jeffrey has long been an important entrepreneur in the market research space. Way back in 1993, he brought web survey software to market research when he co-founded a company called the Perseus Development Corporation. Later in 2006, he brought enterprise feedback management to the space with a company he co-founded called Volvisi. And in 2012, he started a company called ResearchScapes International, where he continues to this day as chief research officer. Now, of course, if you've been in this industry any length of time, you've probably also seen him speak at a conference or be involved in an industry association, or maybe you've read a paper or two of his. Um, but one thing that a lot of people don't know about Jeffrey is that he has long been a board game enthusiast. In fact, he's actually created and published his own game, which I believe is off print currently. Is that right, Jeffrey? Um, I have, I've, I got a couple. So. Okay. All right. All right. We'll, we'll talk it now. I, I'm a, I've always been a huge uh, board game guy myself, big D and D geek from way back. So I'm super excited to talk about all that and research more on today's podcast. So welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Thanks. Cool to be here. Yeah. Super excited to have you. All right. Well, let's uh, we get lots to talk about a lot of cool things. Um, but let's let's start with research. You know, it's always interesting to, to uh, find out how people got into this space in the first place. So what's what's your story there? So I was a teenage market researcher. And um, when I meet other people who are teenage market researchers, it's usually because their mom or dad ran a research firm. <laughs> um, in my case, I worked at a temp agency. And um, this market research firm needed help setting up this database on DOS called DataEase. They had done this competitive intel of automotive patents, and they were trying to build a, this database. And so they called me for what was supposed to be a weekend's worth of work, or what for a, it was supposed to be like a four hours bit of work. And I had to learn this database package. And so I ended up working over the weekend to get it done so they could deliver it on Monday. And then they offered me a summer job and I fell in love with the industry um, doing competitive research, custom research, survey research. And um, so after college, so I worked for them through college and then after college, I worked for them. Oh, wow. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> that's really cool. So usually when I hear that story, it's like, yeah, I took a job as a phone interviewer, um, but uh, you, you dug right into the tech side. So tell us about how things unfolded then after college. Uh, yeah, so we so uh, back then, I mean, people were just starting to use desktop publishing software. Like my first presentation, probably, you know, I did the analysis in Lotus One Two Three, yeah, uh, the slides in Harvard Graphics, old school. I wrote anything; it was in WordPerfect. Um, and one of our clients was very cons. They they did uh, pay phones. You know, the phone should go and put your your nickel into. And they were very concerned about com competitive payphones. They weren't concerned at all about <laughs> cell phones. <laughs> Even the cell phones were out. They were very concerned about competitive payphones. And so we built this system where we mined their database and gave them beautiful, you know, desktop published map maps on a Mac showing their market share by, you know, by by region. Um, and then at one, and then I got asked to do a survey um, 
it was a, it was an Inc. 500 company, so they were just growing too quickly. So they kept giving me projects that they had no business giving me. Uh, I mean, I was right. a science major, and um, you know, they're like, "Yeah, we got to do this survey. Um, here, go write it." Well, who's it for? It's for Apple. It's about their laser writer. At the time, their printer was their most powerful computer. So, um, so I, so they're like, "Here, go read a bunch of questionnaires we've written and write this questionnaire." And so, my very first survey research project was for Apple computer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to go to Apple and present, um, and, uh, you know, so it was just fascinating to sort of take what the, what the business goals were, figure out how to ask them, uh, yeah. of respondents and then, you know, how to turn that, that back into something useful to the business. And so back then we did a lot of face-to-face -face interviews, which was just phenomenal because you'd get the feedback of a bad questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so you, absolutely. So you have a chance to refine the questionnaire that you wrote. And yep. um, so it was just, it was just a great experience. And, uh, and I realized that, you know, there wasn't a lot of software. Um, there, there weren't a lot of software solutions just for it that weren't, they were on the, on PCs, they were on mini computers and mainframes. Right. Uh, and so we, we built some software for focus groups and for, um, face-to-face -face interviews and then when the web came along pivoted and um, did that and so my boss and I started a company which was Perseus yeah okay okay cool um and you did that for for quite some time so tell us about kind of how that unfolded so you went from hey we we built something we started a company and then you're running a company and then you've done it again a couple times so well yeah well the first one was i mean so from 93 to 99 it was it was three of us i mean we were not very successful uh we mainly kept in, we funded the software development through professional services mm -hmm. um and then we won the pc magazine editor's choice award by one point and um and then sales, you know, took off. Um, we, we sold software inboxes. You could literally go into, you know, Egghead at the back of a Staples and yeah. software. So um, that was really when the business took off and we became an Inc. 500 company, which had kind of been my goal. Um, and then we were getting pulled up market by our clients to, and that's mm -hmm. really how we started to come up with enterprise feedback management. So Bovisi, um, we sold the company outright to venture capitalists then reinvested in the new company, which was formed from Perseus Web Surveyor and Surveyo. Um, and so it really was a continuation of what I'd been doing before, but just more focused on the enterprise. Okay. And and what does uh, ResearchScape International focus on then? What do you do? We, we focus on uh, newsmaker surveys. So surveys for PR firms, uh, okay. for content management, uh, so for content marketing, uh, for news releases. So, And we also have a uh, software called Research Story, which takes data from Alchemer, Qualtrics, SurveyMonkey, Forsta, um, and automates a lot of those aspects of building a deck. So all the things I would have done manually, we've automated. Ah, okay, okay, interesting, super cool. All right, so so let's let's talk board games. So what uh, what ignited that interest way back when, and and tell us about the game that you developed. Yeah. So, I mean, so my grandparents, uh, you know, they on both sides, you know, had tough childhoods, grew up during the Great Depression. And, you know, a deck of cards was a prized possession. And so they taught us lots of card games. Sure. Um, and then when we'd go over to my cousins, my cousins were into um, Risk and Payday and Stratego, my older yeah. cousins. And so for me, games were always a chance to, you know, celebrate with family. Um, and then my friends, you and I talked about 
this game. So there was a series of games. Yeah, Axis game and Allies. Masters. Yes, this is Axis and Allies by Game Master, uh, which was a Milton Bradley sub-brand. So they had like four big games. And so when I was in junior high and high school, you know, we played Axis and Allies and um, Shogun and Broadsides uh, and Boarding Parties and Fortress America, which were their big games. And so, um, and of course we played Dungeons and Dragons and uh, miniatures. And so, you know, at some point we wrote our own rules for Axis and Allies. We wrote our own rules for miniature war games. And so it was just always right. something that I that I um, had done with friends was to create different games. Uh, and so I pitched uh, I pitched one of my games to a company called Nestor Games. Okay. And they crowdfunded it and published it. It's called City Blocks. They've now changed their business model. So they, they now have only six or eight games. So it's out of print. You could play it online at a site called yucata.de. Um, so they have a website where you play with other people sort of uh, um, over time. So you can play it there. And then um, when I looked at in a lot of games, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a weird industry in that Monopoly is still the number one game, um, you know, despite how old it is. Yeah, um, a lot of other games come and go. You know, a lot of other games are are, are gone or out of print. Um, just like just like my game. So uh, I decided that complicated games were harder to print. Uh, so I wanted to do a card game. So I did a card game called Civscape. Um, Civ like civilization scape. Apparently, oh, cool. I like scape as a word since Research Scape is my company name. But uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, you and I have talked about um, you know flux. Yep. Uh, all flux is a great series of games if you're not familiar with it where basically the rules change you know the game starts draw one play one and then but there can be a new rule where now you're drawing two or a rule where you're playing three um and they've uh branched out into ip so now there's like a doctor who flux and star trek yeah <laughs> spongebob flux probably and uh there is. I have oh there is yes yeah. oh wow okay i did not know that um, and so my game, Civscape, is kind of like if, so that's Andrew Looney, great guy who wrote those games. Um, if he had created a little civilization game, um, the rules are all on the cards and it's about, you know, having a Mediterranean city-state and, you know, trying to um, build it before your, um, before your competitors build it. So. Cool. I, I love it. Civscape. Yeah. So are, do you have another game on the horizon or? So, um, so I have a website called Troy Press where I where I self-publish because as I realized, a lot of these games don't last very long. And my most popular game is a little print and play game called Spin Rummy. So it's 18 cards uh -huh. and the cards are unusual in that um, you, they have, uh, basically you can rotate them. So on one side, it's the king of diamonds and on the other side, it's the five of hearts. Okay. And you're trying to build rummy hands. And so it's a print and play game. You can just print it on a cardboard. Um, it's 18 cards. Um, and uh, so that's one of my simpler, uh, simpler uh, games. Super cool. Um, yeah, that's 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 really neat. I'm definitely going to check out uh, a couple of these games. Uh, I'm also going to check you out on BoardGameGeek.com. See what the <laughs> see what the board game community says about your games too. Um, so uh, it's a really interesting. It for some reason it it doesn't seem terribly surprising that somebody who works in research would be interested in developing board games. Is, is there any sort of commonality there? Any uh, similar thread that you found? 
or are they just two separate spheres? I mean, for me, it's my relaxation. So it is pretty separate. I mean, I have done a lot looking at, um, I mean, it's, I mean, it is pretty different. I've been, I've been interested in, you know, concept testing games. So I, I, there's not a lot of, uh, market research in the gaming industry. So the things that we've done have typically been because I wanted to do them, for example, projects and things like that. Yeah. Sure. Is have you thought about it the other way? I mean, are there there are elements of gaming that you have applied to sort of the gamification of research? Yeah, actually, my my favorite presentation that, that to give I gave at the New England MRA, uh, so now part of the Insights Association, the their New England chapter, and it was on gamification, and right. um, so which. A lot of people think, oh, geez, I got to build some virtual set world, second life or metaverse thing. And really it's more just applying techniques um, from games. I mean, if you think about people taking your surveys, 70% of them, according to, you know, Lucid are taking them on their phone this year. Oh, wow. So what else are they doing on their phone? Mobile games. Mobile games have turned us all into gamers. I mean, if right. you go on an airplane, you'll see people of all ages um, playing uh, their games on their phone while they wait. Um, and so we're competing with that. And so different things like uh, brand awareness, instead of saying, hey, you know, um, uh, you know, what brands of um, software can you name? You know, how many brands of software can you name in 30 seconds and having a timer and then giving them a score? Oh, you, 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 you named more brands than, you know, uh, people. So there's little gamification techniques that you can do. Um, we've done a number of things with, with um quizzes to kind of give people some feedback. We had a brutally long uh, survey for a, it was a, a survey of a customer base, um, much longer than I like to write. Um, and it was internet. And so we, they wanted, they were like, geez, how do we keep people's attention? We know this is a long questionnaire. Um, and so we added something in the middle, which was basically asking them some questions about Wi-Fi. Uh, and then we gave them a Wi-Fi IQ score. Um, and because these were their ah, customers, yeah. no one's Wi-Fi IQ was under 100. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we gave, yeah. Yeah. So we gave them so we gave them scores and then tips on, hey, if you want to improve Wi-Fi reception in your house, you know, here are some things that you can do. Um, and so that was a way to kind of get people engaged to stay with the survey. So realizing that your surveys are competing with games, I think, you know, is, is, is good to keep in mind. Cool. Cool. All right. So you've long been kind of at the forefront of, uh, of the research space and, and even driving it to some extent. Um, so as we sit here today, you know, what, what does the future look like for research from your perspective? Well, I mean, I think, I think we're going to, I think data analytics um, is um, subsuming us in some ways. Uh, I mean, there's so many, uh, there's so many sources now of behavioral data. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, it used to be, I've done a lot of work in the software space and it used to be, you know, you would do surveys to figure out what to build in the next big release. Um, so back when it was the waterfall method and then people moved to an agile method. So you're doing research to figure out, okay, what are we gonna do in the next six week sprint? Right. And then it got to the point where you were deploying features to parts of your, your, your customer base, not all of your customer base, because then right. you were gonna test them. So, so all of a sudden now you're using um, the application or your website to get A-B tests and to understand things. It's certainly with online stores, you know, there's 
all of this behavioral information that you're capturing. Now, now, interestingly, a lot of times people will say, well, okay, well, if we're doing that, we don't need to ask people anything. Um, one of the biggest companies that has that behavioral data is Facebook, and they're also one of the top survey researchers. Uh, yeah. They're constantly fielding surveys. So when you can marry the survey with the behavioral data, um, I think you get much, much richer. Um, but I'm, I'm like fascinated by Duolingo because they've been pretty yeah. transparent about their A-B tests that they do. Yeah. Um, my wife and I are both learning Italian. Our apps look completely different. I mean, completely different. She's got oh, different character, the, the way, I mean, and, um, and you, I've seen different features roll out in the year I've been using it. Um, and basically they test everything from when to send you a reminder message to what the wording of the reminder message is. Yeah. Um, so all these different things that they're doing, uh, to basically build, obviously to keep you coming back to, to keep learning the language, but then also to assess well, how good are you at learning the language? And so yeah. they are doing a tremendous amount of market research on their customer base that isn't what we traditionally think of as market research. Yeah, <laughs> I love the example. I'm a Duolingo user myself and uh, the guilt factor that they use, they probably test it, you know, the you made Duo sad. <laughs> you don't do it for a couple of days, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I don't want to make Duo sad. <laughs> Too funny. Awesome. Cool. Um, all right. So, uh, so your time is limited, right? Uh, but we all consume media. You mentioned games, but we all consume media as well. So curious to know what media you turn to either for inspiration or uh, enjoyment or uh, insight. Yeah, so I, I used to be, uh, so when Twitter first came out, you know, I was a big user of Twitter and that was probably, you know, my favorite social media site. I'm not, I don't really do anything on Facebook. Um, if you've ever used the MRX hashtag. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. I thought, I thought I heard one time that you started the hashtag MRX. So MRX was, so originally when people tweeted on Twitter, um, they would hashtag things MR. Right. So, um, but, but there was all kinds, but there was also a lot of people who would tweet celebrities that started with Mr. And so there was all kinds of garbage in it. Yeah. And so I actually did an analysis of, you know, the different hashtags and MRX was just being used by this Morristown, Tennessee weather station. <laughs> like this bot. It was like their three digit code from the national weather uh, that was reporting, reporting their weather. And I'm like, well, no one uses MRX. We can be market research excellence. The X can say for whatever you want, you know, yeah. uh, next generation. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I, so I had a declaration of independence from the MR hashtag started MRX. And then um, other people began to use it. So, so Twitter was my go-to for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I had a note to ask you about that and I forgot about it. So when I, when I post this, of course, I will hashtag MRX. It'll be, you know, just a, a circular reference. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, and I should thank Annie Pettit and yeah. Ray Pointer. They were, they were early. Uh, they also promoted it to their followings. And uh, I'm sure there were some other folks too uh, to, to start using it because the other, the other channel was pretty full of spam. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but these, the, I still am on, I actually have four Twitter accounts. So I have got my Jay Henning one, which was the one I did MRX on and I still do market research stuff on. I obviously have our corporate one research scape. I have one where um, I, I tweet in Esperanto. That's what I'm learning on Duolingo besides Italian. Oh. And then I have my board game one, which is you know completely different. So Jay Allen Henning on Twitter is where I, I, I uh, talk about uh, 
RPGs and board games. But, um, and so I do get inspiration from those. Um, and I also really like Reddit and Discord. So, okay. yeah. um, so you know, Reddit, I, I really value Reddit. I, I usually on Reddit once a day. And um, there's a good Discord um, RPG community. So okay, I, I run, um, I typically run a, uh, it, it depends, which kind of thing to break during the summer. But for the summer, I was running two separate RPG groups, um, basically every other week running one or the other. And so right now I'm running one called Stone Top, which is, um, it was, it was just kickstarted last year. Um, and then I I'll also run Dungeon World, which is, um, uh, a different um, RPG. So, cool, cool, excellent. All right. Well, um, this is all well and good, Jeffrey. Uh, but you know, this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, so we we need to we need to infuse a little bit of uh, rock and roll to this conversation. Uh, although, don't don't let me uh, don't don't let me color your answers because you know they are what they are, whether it's rock and roll or not. But what I really want to know is, let's say you're stranded on a desert island, right? And you have three records at your disposal to keep you company for the rest of your days. What are they? Um, yeah, interestingly, because I'm going to give you some old ones, but these were not these are not these are not ones that I grew up with like liking this much. But I still, but I, but I, 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 I like them a lot. So the oldest one would be Abbey Road. Um, okay. I absolutely yeah. love Abbey Road. Classic. Um, uh, the the medley in the back and people don't realize like the end is the last song they ever recorded together um it's the only song with a Ringo Starr uh, drum solo um ah, so I, okay. I adore Abbey Road um and uh so that would definitely be one um the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars oh yes yes classic yeah. Yeah. classic and then um when I bought my so I, I bought a, a new car and it was like 2006, 2007, it was like right before everybody was shifting to the, you know, the online MP3 players. And so yep. it was a CD, it was like one of the last cars you buy with a CD player. That's the same, and, I've got the same. <laughs> yeah. And uh, American Idiot came out. And oh I yeah. literally put it in my CD player. When it was, it was, there was not a CD changer, it was a CD player that took one. Put it in CD, and I did not take it out for 13 months. <laughs> American Indian. Nice. Well, I'm a huge punk rock fan, so Green Day mention, of course, uh, makes me very happy. So uh, great, great choices there, Jeffrey. Uh, usually I end there, but uh, but I'm not going to let you off the hook yet because we do have a mutual appreciation here for board games, and so we're gonna we're gonna double this question up because I okay. want to know. I'm super curious. So. Again, stranded on a desert island, you've got your records, you're listening to your Green Day and all that good stuff. And you have three games at your disposal, three board games. What are they? So probably the one that maybe will be better known to folks is called Seven Wonders. Seven so Wonders, okay. What's fascinating about it is if you've ever played Sushi Go, yeah, uh, I have. You basically, every player has a hand of seven cards uh, to start with. Um, to build your civilization. I really like civilization games. And you're going to pick one from your hand, put it face down, and then pass the, your cards. And so then everyone's going to play a card. So with like seven people, you're you, you're not like waiting. You constantly have something to think about and do. Um, right. and it's got uh, very interesting scoring. So I've played this game, I think, probably 50 or so times. It's just a great game with a, with a, with a big group. Yeah. Um, really, really holds up. I've been playing it since it... Um, 
uh, came out, which I think was shortly after Milvisi was founded, because I remember playing playing it with some some coworkers. Um, cool. All and right. then um, probably the le- lesser known one, though they did do a Kickstarter and redo it, is called Clash of Cultures. Okay. And so this is another Civ game. All these games are Civ games, I just realized. Uh, <laughs> so Civilization games. Um, and this one, uh, basically, you've got a dynamic board. So this is... There are licensed Sid Meier Civilization board games. Mm-hmm. This, this when I've played this with friends who love Sid, Sid Meier Civ, they're like, "This is actually a better Sid Meier Civ game than the, the licensed board games." So oh. you've got this random exploration of the world, and you've got this tech tree. So your your te- your your society is learning new things over time, mastering the alphabet, you know, figuring out how to sail. Um, so really good. Oh. And then um, this is more of a future Civ one, which is called um, New Frontiers. Frontiers. It's um, the Race for the Galaxy board game, which is a classic card game, um, and uh, you're exploring this. This um, you're exploring a galaxy. You're drawing planets um, from this bag, trying to decide which planets you're going to settle. Um, also, highly highly replayable. Lots of different strategies. So all the so. When I thought about it, each of those games are games I've played a lot, and I'm happy to like. Like, if you said, "Hey, let's play it right now," I'd happily play any one of them. Right? I mean, they're very replayable, very, very deep games. Super cool, excellent. Well, I love that um, you've given me some good games to do some research on. Always looking for good ones to play with my kids, who are you know, twelve, thirteen now, and uh, yeah, you give me some good stuff to think about. So. Uh, plus, I've just learned a whole lot about you that I never knew before. So it's been a really fun conversation. So I uh, look forward to seeing you sometime soon at a conference or something similar. But let's uh, stay in touch regardless. So thanks so much, Jeffrey. And uh, stay in touch. Rock and roll. Oh,